South Africans have had a rough week as ESCOM bounced between Stage 2 and Stage 4 load shedding. Faced with up to three outages a day, many South Africans are despairing about the future of this country and whether ESCOM will ever be able to meet power supply demands. The power outages have created havoc for the business sector, with many small businesses struggling to survive the repeated disruption of their ability to operate. It's clear that a sense of urgency is needed to address the problem, accompanied by a credible action plan to restore some sense of sanity and a positive outlook for the future. I'm Catherine Rice, multimedia journalist for News24, and this is The Story. This week, we'll look at the unfolding electricity crisis and what should be done about it. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard and uncovered this week. We're now joined by investigative journalist for News24, Kyle Cowan. Kyle, you've done a lot of series of investigations into ESCOM and it's in the workings. How deep is the rot and how far back in time does it go? When did all this start? ESCOM has been corrupted and hollowed out over the course of the past 15 years, at the very least, if not longer. That's just what we know about. Um, The rot is so deep that one ESCOM official told me a couple of months ago that they have a choice. They can either investigate corrupt tea and milk contracts, or they can investigate the big corruption contracts around the building of new power stations. They, they literally have to choose. They can't do everything. And it sort of gives you an idea of the scope of the problem. There is almost nothing at ESCOM that has not been blighted or touched by impropriety or corruption. This has resulted in, by early 2018, a private, private investigations firm, Bowman's, red flagging contracts worth about 178 billion rand for further investigation and that's just what we know of that's what they could sort of see on the face of things it's really deep and it's really entrenched and just because there is new leadership at escom does not mean that those people are not still there on tuesday at a media briefing escom ceo andre dereta said stage four load shedding had to be implemented this week because of challenges at several plants including madupi what were some of those problems? So the key problem at Madupi was on the 8th of August this year, one of the generating units at the power station actually blew up um, during a, an exercise that they were trying to determine a hydrogen leak on the unit. And there was an operator error, apparently, and the unit physically blew up. Um, apparently, the, the explosion was quite spectacular and loud, and fortunately, no one was injured. But... To contextualize this, this unit is less than five years old. It is That power station has cost South Africa in excess of 150 billion rand. And it's really something that you don't expect to happen at such a new power station. Bearing in mind that Madupi and its sister power station, Kusile, were supposed to have been, when they were commissioned in 2007, they were supposed to be our saving grace. They were supposed to stop load shedding from happening by now. They were supposed to have been finished in 2015. And obviously they're not finished, and and that is what a lot of our reporting has centered on, is on Kusile and the corruption there, which has led in a large part to it being so late and so many billions of rands over budget. With the other power stations that have continuously contributed to South Africa's electricity shortages, they really are just old. They are, on average, 42, 43 years old, 
and they were run exceptionally hard from 2007, 2008 onwards to try and meet electricity demand and to make sure that load shedding was not worse than what we have already experienced. And that has led to a situation where a lot of these older power stations effectively need to be taken offline for six months to a year, completely offline and refurbished from the ground up so that they can get to back to sort of some semblance of, of normal operation. Kyle, another very concerning thing that came up in the briefing was Dorator said that many municipalities did not comply with load shedding directives. What are your thoughts on that and the potentially devastating impact of ignoring those directives by municipalities? It's a serious issue and it's one that is not only a, a moral issue but also a regulatory issue. These municipalities signed documents and agreements that said that they would do what ESCOM asked them to do to implement load shedding. And the reason load shedding is implemented is not because simply, oh, we don't have enough power to supply you right now. Load shedding is implemented to stop the national power grid, the actual distribution grid, from collapsing and causing a national blackout. If something like that has to happen, it could take ESCOM days, if not weeks, to get power, to restore power supply to most of the country. So if municipalities are really playing with one of the most key parts of our electricity infrastructure by not implementing load shedding, they are creating a massive risk for this complete national blackout. And it's something that really isn't forgivable, and we should, really, we should be asking them some very, very tough questions over the next couple of days. Kyle, the planned maintenance that has been neglected in the past, it, has anyone actually been held accountable for those failures? Or are they just being swept under the carpet with no negative consequences for those responsible for this mess that we find ourselves in? That's a difficult question and a complex situation because ESCOM is trying desperately to keep the ship afloat. And their main focus really has been on big investigations that they can try and recoup some money from. Investigating historical sort of lapses in what you know in not doing maintenance and not looking after power stations is important but it's not a priority right now the reality is, is that most of these power stations are broken or are in the process of breaking you know severely and they need to try and focus their energy on trying to get those power stations running again i have no doubt that at some point in the future there will come a time where someone will turn around and say right, the government implemented X, Y, and Z policy to keep the lights on during the Soccer World Cup. These are the people who were responsible, and this is what it did. And then the next step is in 2014, when midlife refurbishments of these units were not done. Someone will need to be held accountable for that again. And there are lapses in years after that as well. The question really is, how much money and time are we going to spend on trying to figure this out, on trying to figure out the past, when we need those money and resources now to keep the power stations running. Kyle, News24 reported this week that the Minister of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon, said that South Africa needs to look at other countries to see how they were able to successfully plug electricity gaps. What does Gordon see as the solution and how practical is it for South Africa? Gordon mentioned this, this, this example of the state of California in the US that was able to, in 42 days, install these four 30 megawatt gas turbines, you know, to sort of supplement their, their electricity supply. A similar project in South Africa 
was started eight years ago and will probably take another four years to complete. And it's just an example of, of how differently things are done in different parts of the world. But the reality is, is that South Africa will benefit very little from a 30 megawatt gas turbine. Number one, there are doubts over the gas supply line that could fire these, these sort of units. But number two, we need between 4,000 and 5,000 megawatts of generating capacity. So a hundred of these tiny little 30 megawatt units you know, will do very little to alleviate our problem. We need to focus on what is being focused on right now, and that is introducing new IPP capacity. And that will help us to reduce sort of our problems. But I think what Godan was saying was really, look at what they were able to do. And why are we not able to also do this in a shorter time frame than eight years, not necessarily 42 days, but we could be doing it in a lot less time. And why aren't we? Very good point indeed. And thank you so much for your time. That was Kyle Cowan, investigative journalist for News24. We're now joined by energy analyst Chris Yelland. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Chris, this week Dorato assured us that ESCOM is not on the brink of a complete system collapse. But what do you think? Uh, I will agree with him. There is always a risk of a national blackout, but the probability is very low indeed. And both ESCOM and municipal electricity distributors are becoming very skilled and practiced over the last 13 years at doing load shedding, which is a manual intervention uh, that is conducted in order to prevent progression on towards a national blackout. So uh, we are becoming good at it and skilled at it. I'm not sure if that is um, something that we should be uh, <laughs> uh, thankful that we are so skilled at it because it's been going on for so long. But nevertheless, we have got used to it. And uh, if we'd had sort of load shedding like this, uh, you know, without having all the necessary preparations and schedules in place, it would be uh, the probability of a load uh, of a national blackout could be much higher. Chris, what would it mean for the country if it did come to a national blackout? Look, I don't want to be alarmist, but a national blackout could have massive consequences. Uh, It's it, it likely to last for more than just a couple of days. Uh, but even if it lasted for a couple of days, uh, you would find uh, that ATMs would not have necessary backup. You couldn't draw money. Uh, petrol stations would not be able to deliver petrol. Banks would stop operating. Shops would stop operating. We would be plunged into darkness. Uh, that all the uh, backup systems, whether they're diesel or, or, or battery, uh, would uh, run out of backup fuel. And uh, the country would be plunged into darkness. And I believe that there would be widespread uh, civil unrest and looting on a scale that is hard to imagine. Uh, we've seen the impacts of, of this kind of looting that took place in, in, in Durban and in, in Gauteng. Uh, and, and, and we can understand the massive consequences to the economy. And for that reason, Eskom have a very clearly defined set of procedures and activities that lead uh, to prevent uh, this occurrence. Uh, so, for example, as I indicated, load shedding is a manual rotating intervention. Uh, but uh, if that doesn't uh, do what is necessary and bring supply and demand back into balance, uh, then there are further automatic uh, load shedding operations that will occur to 
separate the country into different regions and to limit the extent and the risk of a uh, national blackout. So there are still further automatic interventions that come beyond the manual interventions that we're seeing at the moment. Uh, and as I say, these are all done uh, to, put, to, to, to put in place the necessary protocols to avoid this. And further than that, there are detailed plans in respect of if a national blackout does occur, how does one go about restoring power in the quickest possible time to uh, to limit the impact of an extended uh, national blackout. So uh, the fact that all these plans are in place indicates that it is, um, uh, although it's very unlikely, uh, it uh, the possibility does exist, but it's very, very rare. Uh, but one needs to uh, have emergency preparations even for rare events. There are certain voices calling for the heads of ESCOM management to roll. Do you think their concerns are valid? And is Andre Dureta the right man to lead us out of this mess? My view is that there will be no uh, good result uh, coming from, um, uh, from changing the leadership of ESCOM at a time of crisis like this. Uh, in fact, I believe it will uh, cause significant disruption in the organization, an organization that's had more than 10 CEOs in the last uh, decade. Uh, and this is part of the problem. One needs a continuity and a, um, and a purposeful approach to dealing with the problems. And changing a CEO will in no way change the situation. Uh, simply put, to solve this uh, matter, one needs a, a very significant increase in the generation capacity. Firstly, uh, to replace very poorly performing coal-fired plants, uh, to cater for growth in the economy, and to build an adequate reserve capacity margin so that uh, ESCOM is able to do um, proper deep level maintenance and switching off generators without having to be pushed into further load shedding. At the moment, when deep level maintenance is conducted and generators are switched off to do this, we are actually pushed into more load shedding in the short term than less. The solutions of new generation capacity are going to take several years to uh, effect. It's outside of ESCOM CEO's uh, area of responsibility. It's in the hands of the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy, and therefore changing the CEO at this point uh, is, is the wrong approach. It will serve no good purpose. And simply uh, people who think that uh, delivering the head of a CEO on a platter to politicians uh, who have been doing uh, very little and neglecting the problem for the last two decades uh, is not the way to solve problems. We need to roll up our sleeves and get things done. And chopping and changing and blaming people that were not directly involved in the problem uh, is not the answer. So we've been experiencing load shedding for, from as far back as 2008. But has 2021 been the worst year of load shedding we've seen in our history? And where to from here? Yes, uh, each year load shedding is getting worse. Uh, so uh, 2020 was a record year and already in 2021 we've exceeded the record of last year. Not a very uh, something to aspire to in breaking these kinds of records. Uh, but the problem is very straightforward. The old plant at Eskom is getting older every year and therefore is subject to more and more breakdowns every year. Much of the plant is um, uh, reaching or already has reached uh, its end of life and needs to be replaced. Uh, 
Uh, maintenance is necessary throughout the entire life of plant. Uh, and you cannot simply do maintenance at the end of life and think that that is the answer to the problem. So maintenance is important all the time, but at a certain point, you need to buy a new set of machinery uh, when the old machinery is no longer uh, able to perform as a workhorse. Uh, yes, you can keep an old plant running almost forever. Uh, you can keep a car running forever uh, if you only drive it on a Sunday to church and to weddings and you uh, uh, treat it with kids' gloves. But that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for workhorses that can uh, uh, drive down to Cape Town and back every single day, fully loaded with your foot flat on the accelerator. That's what a workhorse is all about. And to do that, you need well-maintained uh, plant. Uh, and when it reaches the end of life, you need to replace it with new plant that performs like new plant. Thank you so much for your time and for your insights. That was energy analyst Chris Yelland. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice, and this week's episode was produced with the help of Amy Gibbings.